please remain standing if you would and take your Bibles and turn to the book of Hebrews chapter 11. And we'll be looking at verses 20 and 22 this morning, but let me just read from beginning with verse 13 to sort of get a context if we could this morning. These all died in faith, not having to receive the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country, that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. By faith, Isaac invoked future blessings on Jacob and Esau. By faith, Jacob, when dying, blessed each of his, the sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over the head of his staff. By faith, Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave directions concerning his bones. Amen. That's the reading of God's word. You may be seated. Let's pray. Our Lord, we, we thank you so much for uh, this day that you have given to us. Uh, Lord, we thank you for the relationship that we have in you. And, and we pray now that as we give attention to your word, that you would speak to us, that you would help me to faithfully preach your word. But Lord, we also know that we must receive that word by faith as well. And pray that it, you're, for your Holy Spirit to, to work in our hearts to do that. And uh, God, I pray that you would uh, cause that to lead us to worship you both in our lives and with our tongues as well. We thank you and pray this in your name. Amen. Well, as we continue through our study of Hebrews chapter 11, you know, we've talked about how Hebrews 11 is oftentimes referred to as the faith chapter. And there's to a certain extent in which that is true. And uh, it's not incorrect in one sense, but in another sense, it's sort of dangerous to think of Hebrews 11 only in terms of, of faith. And I say that because sometimes what people do is they begin to take this chapter and to focus in on their own faith and to say, is my faith strong? Is my faith what it ought to be? And the focus becomes our faith rather than the focus being upon the object of our faith, which is our God. Because that's, that's the purpose of the original writer here. He wanted to encourage his readers uh, to place their faith in God, to see who God is, and to see how he has been working uh, in the lives of his people throughout time. And so this morning as we come, let us do the same thing, not so much focusing upon ourselves or our own faith, but upon God as well. And, and last week we, we looked at uh, faith, especially as it pertained to the life of Abraham and, and just the, the pilgrimage of faith or the journey that he went through. Uh, Abraham, it's just, that's a great, he's a great example of someone who, who lived a life of faith. Now we talked about how we can live by faith 
or we can live by sight, by those things that, that we experience with our senses. And you know, to some degree, don't you sort of wish that it was either one or the other? But even as Christians, we struggle. Sometimes we find ourselves walking by faith, but sometimes we find ourselves also walking by sight, uh, unfortunately. Um, but even when we do, we see God's faithfulness. And, and even Sarah, we see, you know, when she laughed at God and His promises, and, and, and it is amazing. God seems to always set it up, doesn't He? Whenever He's going to do something, to look almost humanly ridiculous. It, it's so amazing in what He's going to do. And so we not only see the pilgrimage of faith, but we saw the power of faith as well, demonstrated through Sarah. And, and then we saw how God is just so good and faithful uh, to give proof of faith. And, and we see that in the life of Abraham as he was even willing to sacrifice the promised son, Isaac, on an altar. He had such faith that God was going to keep his promises that he would give up everything. Because he knew that if need be, God could raise Isaac from the dead. And so, uh, so we, we've seen a lot about faith already. But, but we're reminded as we come to Abraham's life that when God entered into a covenant with Abraham, he did not do so only with one man, but also with the generations that came through Abraham. If I could, let me read from Genesis chapter 17. Genesis 17, 7. And God is speaking, and he says, I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. And so as we continue on through Hebrews 11, uh, we don't just see a, a group of random individuals that he gives us, uh, but we see the generations of those that followed, Isaac, Jacob, and, and Joseph. And so this morning we're going to just very simply uh, look at these three portraits of faith and, and then just a few lessons that we might uh, see from their lives. And so that's what we're going to look at this morning. So let's look at these three portraits of faith. Isaac, Abraham's son, uh, Jacob, his grandson, and Joseph, his great-grandson. And let us see once again what the writer of Hebrews says about these three men. Uh, Hebrews 11:20. By faith, Isaac invoked future blessings on Jacob and Esau. By faith, Jacob, when dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph bowing in worship over the head of his staff. And by faith, Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave directions concerning his bones. Now, it's interesting. Of all the things that could be said about these three men, it, it, he, he really focuses in on the same thing. And that is these men at the end of their lives. These men as they were preparing to die. And, and we see that the focus is here upon these men, okay, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph, sort of passing on the promise to the next generation. They are standing firm in faith. They've, you know, as, as oftentimes life, uh, death does for us, isn't it interesting how as we get closer to death, sometimes as we look back, our life becomes clearer. We don't see all the details of everything that God is doing, but sometimes we can, we can see more clearly. And, and they were men of faith at the end of their life. And they are encouraging the next generation uh, as they trust in the covenant promises. 
that God has given. So let's look at these men. First of all, Isaac. The Lord came to Isaac, and, and he sort of confirmed the covenant with him. Let me read from Genesis 26, uh, 26, uh, verse 3. God tells Isaac, he said, Sojourn in this land, and I will be with you, and I will bless you, for to you and your offspring I will give all these lands, and I will establish the oath that I swore to Abraham, your father. I will multiply your offspring as the stars of the heaven, and will give to your offspring all these lands, and in your offspring all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. So he sort of, it's a restatement of the promise that he had given to, to Abraham. And, and as we read the account of Isaac in the book of Genesis, um, we see that he doesn't really come across as the most bold man of faith. If you're trying to think of a man of faith to teach your sons about, to say, be like him, Isaac would not be the guy that you would choose. You know, it's interesting that if you look at Abraham's life or Jacob's life or uh, Joseph's life, it, there's about 12 chapters in Genesis uh, for each one of these men that talk about their interaction with God and stuff. Isaac, it's way different. It's about two and a half chapters is all that's covered. Half of chapter 25, all of 26, and all of 27. And so overall, he probably has the, the weakest faith. We probably know more about his failures than we know about his successes. And it's important for us to, to see these things and to recognize these things. I think sometimes uh, kids, I don't know if you uh, have ever thought about this, but I know for the years that I spent in Sunday school and hearing about these great patriarchs of the faith, you think of them as these great men of God with this amazing faith. And they were, to some degree, but they also were men who struggled too as well. And they were men, as we would say, with clay feet. Well, what the writer of Hebrews focuses on, though, in Isaac's life is how he invoked a blessing upon his sons, Jacob and Esau. In Genesis uh, 25, we read of the birth of these two baby boys. It, it actually came as a result of Isaac and Rebekah and their prayer for children, because Rebekah was barren and she couldn't bear any children. And, and during her pregnancy, the Lord informed Rebekah that the younger son would actually receive the blessing. We see that in Genesis 25, 23. And, and that was quite significant, because in that day and time, the oldest son received the blessing, not the younger son. And, and yet God said that, you know, his plan was is that uh, Jacob would be the one that would receive the blessing. So uh, while Isaac and Rebekah didn't know all that God had planned for their life, they knew exactly at least that much. However, Isaac preferred Esau, you know. Um, I don't want to say that parents sometimes have favorite children. We won't open that can of worms. But, you know, sometimes we see that even in Scripture. And, and Isaac preferred Esau over Jacob. And Rebekah preferred Jacob over Esau. But uh, part of that was is uh, Isaac enjoyed uh, the taste of wild game. And Esau was a man's man. He was a hunter. He could go out and he would get venison or whatever and he would cook it. And his dad loved that. And, you know, they just sort of bonded together. So uh, Isaac insisted on giving the blessing to his oldest son. That was his plan, even though that was not God's choice. Kids, you might remember, though, from Sunday school, how Jacob tricked his old blind father 
And believe it or not, he did so with the help of his mother. So here's, here's Rebecca deceiving her own husband so that her, the son that she loved so much might receive the blessing. And if you remember, Esau was a manly man, you know, most likely a big guy, but he definitely was hairy the way the Bible describes him. But Jacob's sort of a, a Ronnie squirt, you know, a scrawny, he's a small guy, that's what I'm trying to say. Anyway, you know, smooth skin, all that kind of stuff. So they had to sort of do some work on him and put some animals on his body to make it seem like he was like his brother. They put his clothes on and he, you know, so he had the smell and everything. And they deceived Isaac and Isaac gave the blessing to his youngest son. Well, then Esau returned from, from the field and, and uh, he found out what had happened. And we read in Genesis 27, 34, as soon as Esau heard the words of his father, that is that he had blessed his younger son, he cried out with an exceedingly great and bitter cry and said to his father, bless me, even me also, O my father. But, but apparently, Isaac recognized the working of God's plan, and he, he knew that he couldn't undo what had been done. And so he told Esau that, I really have no blessing. The only blessing I have is that you're going to serve your younger brother. And uh, it wasn't uh, until Isaac had given his blessing to Jacob that it, it seemed like he began to follow more so God's ways. It's almost like God had boxed him in a corner in one sense, but Isaac did believe, he did believe God's promises. And so we, we read in Hebrews 11 that in response to God's providential control, uh, by faith, Isaac invoked future blessings on Jacob and Esau. And notice the order of the words. He didn't say Esau and Jacob, because Esau's the oldest, Jacob's younger. He actually said Jacob and Esau, because Jacob was the one that received that blessing. So let's talk about Jacob. Jacob's life was actually not a lot different than his brothers, or his brothers, his, his fathers in some ways. Spiritually, he had many ups and downs. And here again, kids, you probably remember that from, from Sunday school. Sometimes he walked by faith, and sometimes he stumbled along by sight. But he had times of great faith, but he also had times of a lot of fear and anxiety as well. And, and he, we even find him bargaining with God on certain occasions, like in Genesis 28. At other times, like in Genesis 31, we see that he rejoices and he acknowledges God's blessings. But in many ways, Jacob was a deceiver. Uh, he deceived his father, Isaac, uh, to get the blessing. But likewise, he deceived his father-in-law, Laban. And, uh, and he did so in such a way that he basically stole his flocks from him. And as a result, he increasingly made Laban more angry with him until finally he had to take his family and his possessions and flee. And of course, you know the story, Laban caught up with him and all the things that, that happened there. But that's not the greatest of Jacob's problems and stuff. Beside the Jabbok River, Jacob wrestled with God. And, and in that, God wrestled with him in such a way that Jacob submitted to the Lord. The one who was described as the grasper uh, was made a man of faith, as we see in Genesis 32. And there God blessed Jacob. And to commemorate this, this change in his life and in his heart, he was given a new name. And what was his name, kids? Israel. Israel. 
right? It was Israel. And uh, Israel became uh, a, a believer, you know, not perfectly, but he was a, a man of faith. And, and Jacob lived in the promised land and he had many sons. And kids, you know the story of one of his sons, Joseph, right? How uh, his dad loved him so much, he gave him the coat of many colors. And, you know, Joseph said, you know, I had this dream and all you people bowed down to me. Uh, his brothers, which made them really happy, right? And uh, his father as well. And uh, anyway, his brothers ended up selling him into slavery, right? And so here he is in Egypt. And eventually, that, that dream did come true, but maybe not quite in the way that, that he thought it would. But, uh, but God sent him to Egypt to deliver not only Egypt from this famine that was coming, but even the nations that surrounded that. And through an amazing sequence of events, and you can read this in Genesis 37 through 42, Joseph and you know his family, including Jacob, moved to Egypt to be delivered from the famine. And Jacob lived the rest of his days in a foreign land, not, not in the promised land, but in Egypt. And then we read in Hebrews 11.21, it tells us about the end of Jacob's life. And it says, by faith, Jacob, when dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over the head of a staff. We see a couple things here. First of all, we see the, the passing on of the blessing. Uh, just as Isaac had blessed his sons Jacob and Esau, the time came for Jacob to pass on the blessings to the next generation. But then rather than blessing his son, Joseph, he sort of gives him a double blessing by blessing his grandsons, uh, Ephraim and, and Manasseh. And he ends up blessing, we'll talk about this a little bit more later, but he ends up blessing his younger son, his younger grandson, over his older grandson. Uh, here again, sort of showing that as, as men, we think that, of mankind, we think that uh, the oldest ought to receive the blessings, but God had a plan that, that he was carrying out, and it was much different. And then we read in Genesis 48, 21, then Israel, that is Jacob, said to Joseph, Behold, I am about to die, but God will be with you and will bring you again to the land of your fathers. And then he talks to Joseph about how he has blessed him doubly so. And he, he tells him, he says, Don't let me stay here in Egypt. Take my bones back to the promised land, back to Canaan, that I might sleep with my fathers. It's, it's that idea that God has made his promise, and I believe that promise is true, and I'm going to act on that promise even in my death. But know this, son, that one day God will bring that promise about, and don't forget that. And so once again, that which was never possessed was, was passed on in faith. Even though their family had not yet possessed the land, yet they received that by faith. But secondly, you see sort of a beautiful picture of Jacob, who was a man of faith. You know, it, it talks about him at the end of his life, leaning on his staff. You know, and, and that, that posture, that attitude of submission and worship to God for his faithfulness and his promises. And then third, so we have Isaac, uh, Jacob, and then Joseph. Uh, Joseph, we read in verse 22, by faith at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave directions concerning his bone. Now, think about this. Here again, we just read through sometimes Genesis so quickly that we don't really stop and think about 
really what we're reading. And, and we see here that Joseph had spent all of his adult life in Egypt. Though he was the fourth generation heir of the promise from God that the promised land would be his, he never sojourned in the land of uh, Canaan, at least not when he was older, let alone claim the possession of the land. It had been, think about this guys, it had been almost 200 years since God had first made the promise to Abraham and still there was no fulfillment in sight. As a matter of fact, by the time of Joseph's death, listen to this, by the time that Joseph died, there was no one of Abraham's descendants who lived in the promised land at all. And yet God had promised that he would give the land to the people. And so uh, Jacob's body, as I said earlier, had been taken to the promised land, but likewise Joseph, confident that God would keep his promises, insisted that when he died, he wanted his bones to be taken to the promised land. But unlike his dad, where they made a special trip there to bury him, he, he prophesied that there would be a time in which there would be an exodus, and they would return to the promised land, and he's like, and take my bones when you go. And as we know, as we read the scripture, uh, the Israelites were enslaved by a Pharaoh who knew nothing of Joseph. They were in slavery for how long? 430 years, okay? And so we're talking about, it's already been a couple hundred years. This is going to be a number of more years. And he said, and I want you to take my bones and I want you to bury them in, this, in the land. And anyway, the point being is, is that he, he uh, had looked forward to the promise. And he trusted that the Lord would, would answer that promise. Brothers and sisters, this is way different than us in, in some ways, and, and very similar yet in with the way that, that we live. You know, we live in such an instant society. If I read God's promises in Scripture in my quiet time in the morning, by 4 o'clock that day, if He hasn't fulfilled them, I'm getting a little frustrated and thinking, Lord, why haven't you fulfilled your promises yet? You know, and yet we're seeing that sometimes God takes a long time to fulfill his promises. But uh, anyway, uh, Joseph put his trust in the Lord. So I just want us to see that all three of these men believed God in the face of their death. And their faith had sometimes wavered, yes. But at the end of their life, their faith was strong and confident. And in many ways, uh, as is oftentimes the case, death is sort of the acid test of, of faith. But also, faith understands that God has a plan for his people. And, and yes, he does have a plan for his church as his people, but also for people individually. And our passage in Hebrews 11 makes clear three things about God's plan that I want to share. So now we're going to shift from the profile to just a few lessons that I want us to keep in mind as we think about how God does this. And I, 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 uh, Peter Lewis, is um, as he was giving his comments on this passage, is where I, I got this, and I found it very helpful first lesson that we see is, is that God's plan cannot be manipulated. God's plan cannot be manipulated. The patriarchs knew a great deal of information about their future, yet that didn't give them any kind of control over that. You know, uh, they couldn't manipulate uh, God's plan. Isaac is a great example of this. Isaac wanted to give Esau the blessing, and yet God said no. Jacob is the one that's going to receive the blessing. 
And, and while what Jacob did and what Rebecca did in deceiving their father and their husband was not a godly thing to do, and yet it, it does show us God's ability to implement his own plan. He will accomplish that. And one reason we cannot manipulate God's will is, is that we only understand it to the degree of that which he has revealed to us in Scripture. And God hasn't told us everything there is in terms of the plan that he's going to fulfill. We want to know all the details. God doesn't always tell us all the details, but he does tell us what's going to happen. He does. He is very clear in terms of his promise. And it just reminds us of what Isaiah says about God, where the Lord says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. Our God thinks on a way different level than, than what we do. Uh, Paul talks about this as he's writing to the church at Rome. And he says in Romans 11.33, Oh, the depth of the riches and the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselors? And yet... Some people spend their time trying to figure out what God's details are of the plans that he's given them. See, seeking, if we could, almost seeking to decipher the details that, that God has revealed. And, and a great case in point, I mean, well, we could probably maybe look at any of our lives. I could probably give you many examples from my own life. But I just think of Abraham, you know, that we've already talked about. How he was trying to do that. You know, God had promised a son. And so he and Sarah were trying to figure out how this could come about. I mean, they saw what was naturally, humanly happening. And so, you know, she's like, well, maybe it's through my uh, maidservant, Hagar. Why don't you take her as a wife? But Abraham's like, yeah, okay, maybe that's it. And, you know, trying to figure out and decipher. And yet, when God makes his promises, we don't have to try to manipulate or to figure that out at all. Um, God's promises are not to be uh, sought to be figured out, but simply to be obeyed and rested in. And I just think about how many times do we struggle, brothers and sisters, as we look at God's promises and we're trying to make them happen rather than just obeying and resting, knowing that God will bring them about the way He wants and how He wants and the timing that He wants. And we are simply to submit to God's Word. We are to trust and obey step by step as God leads us in this world. We're pilgrims. We're not from here. We're going somewhere else. We're going home and God will faithfully take us there. Second thing, God's plan can't be taken for granted. Can't be taken for granted. Whenever we think we're, we're sure of what God has in store for us, I will tell you this, brothers and sisters, we will most likely be surprised. The way that God executes this plan is way different than maybe what we think. And, and I think even of Joseph and uh, just the, the number of things that he encountered in his life and how they turned out much differently. Like, for example, as I said earlier, as he was thinking about the dream where his brothers and his father was going to be bowing down to him, did he ever imagine that he would be second in command in Egypt and that that's how God would fulfill that? Probably, I'm guessing... He, he did not. And then when Joseph brought his sons to his father to bless him, the Old Testament takes the time to tell us very specifically that, um, that he had placed his older son by his dad's right hand and his younger son by his dad's left hand. Uh, but we read in Genesis 48, 14, And Israel 
stretched out his right hand, and he laid it on Ephraim, that is the younger son, who was the younger, and his left hand on the head of Manasseh, crossing his hands, because Manasseh was the firstborn. So Joseph saw that, and he's like, Dad, 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 no, 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 no. I think you're old, you're getting confused, I, I don't think you understand. And uh, he said, you need to, to bless them this way. And Israel, or, or Jacob, said, refused, because he knew that it was God's plan that Ephraim would receive the blessing. And we need to be careful not to think that we know God's plan clearly. Uh, you know, so we can expect surprises by God, and that we must keep our eyes focused upon Him only. Because God oftentimes starts in unexpected places, and He does things through unexpected people, all to show us that He is the one who is orchestrating the plan that works according to His own discreet will. I mean, to think about how God provided the plan of salvation by sending His Son, sending His Son to be to come in humiliation, to live as, as a human being, to, to, to be tempted by sin, to, to face the cross as a sinless God-man on our behalf, and then to be raised to the right hand of the Father. We would never imagine such a, a wonderful and a glorious plan. You know, but God, He takes the chief of sinners who's persecuting the church, the Saul of Tarsus, and He makes him Paul, the great apostle of grace. He, he takes a sin-obsessed monk like Martin Luther and through him returns the gospel to the church. And today, he makes Christianity burn brightest in the most poor and downtrodden places on the earth, like Asia and Africa, rather than in the United Kingdom or the United States or some other great nation. God does things much differently. It glorifies God to work at cross-purposes to the wisdom of the world. And God's plan is not subject to human standards and ways of doing things. Brothers and sisters, I know all of us have plans for our lives, do we not? Uh, but we must not forget that God has a plan as well for our lives. And so oftentimes, our plan is sort of a straight line. We want to go from small successes to large successes. But oftentimes, our plan... Uh, calls for achievements and blessings and worldly comforts, right? That's sort of how we think when it comes to our lives and, and how we are seeking to live. But God's plan is oftentimes much different and much more inclusive. Ours is rather simplistic and only deals with worldly and earthly things, but God is seeking to do something of a spiritual nature in us. And so He takes our plan and He edits it with sorrows and failures and weaknesses, and he gives it back to us one trial at a time. And he does so because if we lived out our plan the way that we wanted to, uh, in, in, in the uh, timing that we wanted and everything, we would be so focused on that plan, our eyes would not be upon our God. But as he brings those trials into our lives, those difficulties, it, it constantly is redirecting us back to him trusting in Him, placing our faith upon Him. We, we, we cannot, we, we must receive these trials and tribulations, all of which must be overcome by faith as we trust God and His promises. We can't take God's plan for granted, but we can't trust Him implicitly. So, we can't know what tomorrow brings, but we know the God who brings it. 
And, th- and that's why Jesus warned us not to take our own plans too seriously. I mean, think about this. If you want, you can, it's a familiar passage, but Matthew chapter 6, Matthew 6, verse 25, Jesus says, Therefore I tell you, don't be anxious about your life, that you, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to a span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven... Will he not much more clothe you? Oh, you of little faith. Therefore, don't be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things. And your heavenly Father knows you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. You see, God's plan can't be manipulated or or taken for granted. And that is because God's plan will never fail. You see, Isaac was weak. Jacob, he was a deceiver, a cheat. Uh, Joseph was a victim, you could sort of say. And yet through all these generations, what you see is not the life of these men or even the faith of these men as much as you see God at work in the midst of these men to bring about His purpose. And so Isaac sought to bless Esau, but God overruled it. Joseph lined up his sons before his father to bless him the way he thought, and yet God changed that. And like I said, even though Pharaoh had a plan to enslave God's people, the Lord was just saving them for the right time to bring about his judgment on the the people in Canaan and fulfill his promise to give them the promised land. You see, nothing can thwart God's plans. That's what Isaiah says. He says, I am God, and there is no other. I am God, and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning, and from ancient times things not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand, and I will establish all my purpose. Now, why is that so important? Well, that means that we must not judge God's intentions by the appearance of our circumstances. Did you hear me? We must not judge God's intentions by the appearance of our circumstances. I don't know what you're going through right now. But be careful to look at your life and think, okay, God wants this, or God's doing this, or God's doing that. We don't always know. uh, God is working according to His plan and for the good of those who trust Him. And no matter what is going on in your life right now, we must never forget that Jesus Christ now reigns upon His throne for the sake of His church and His people. And, and history is leading to His exaltation of the Lord of Lords. This is the end, guys. This is where we're moving towards. We're not moving towards the next election or when we can uh, resolve COVID-19 or you know how we can make an economic rebound. That's not what we're moving towards. What we're moving towards is is that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess 
that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's where we're heading as His people and as His church. So all the history is about Jesus. It is, it's His history. And therefore, one thing is sure, that God's plan leads us either to life through faith in Jesus Christ and to walk with Him each and every day until the Lord takes us home, or it leads us to death and eternal condemnation for those who reject His name. You see, the certainty of God's plan reminds us that we are to serve Him who is the Lord of the great plan. We are to put God's Word into practice in our life and trust Him and to walk by faith, bearing testimony to Jesus Christ, the one who is central to God's eternal plan. Amen? Amen. Let's take just a moment and reflect upon God's Word as it preached this morning. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the word that you have given to us. And God, we, we thank you that your plan is, is perfect. Uh, Lord, that in, in these three men, we not only just see the, the plan of individual men, but we see a plan that you were carrying out for, for all humanity, Lord, to uh, bring the light of Christ into the world, that you might accomplish your purpose of setting aside a people for yourself. Lord, I pray for those that are maybe listening today who don't know you. Uh, Lord, may they know the hope that comes in Jesus Christ. May they recognize that uh, where they're at is not where they have to stay. Lord, that you are calling them to believe in you, to trust in you, to acknowledge that maybe up to this point in their life they have lived their life in sin against you as, as their own boss, as, as the ruler of their own life. But you are calling them to trust in you that you can take away their sin and the penalty of that sin. And that you can give them a new life in Jesus Christ. But they must trust you. They must yield their heart to you. And I pray for your spirit to work in their lives to do that. That they might be new creatures in Christ. And that you promise to make them new creatures in Christ. New beings, people with a new perspective, new values, new loves new affections. But Lord, at the same time, you have promised us as your people the same. And I pray, God, today, if we are struggling in our faith, that maybe we are stumbling by sight right now and we're wrestling and Satan is getting a foothold. Lord, that you would help us to, to trust you, to know that your promises are true. And Lord, to know that whatever it is that's going on in our lives, maybe that which... We are struggling to, to give over to you, to know, Lord, that you will be faithful to your promises and you will care for your people. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want, I shall not lack anything. And so, Lord, help us to trust you and to give these things over to you and to rest in your character and in the promises that you have given. Not just here, Lord, upon this earth, but promises that will last for all eternity as we enjoy you in heaven. We thank you, O oh God, and pray these things in your name. Amen.